I guess that means it's a special morning for all of us. Would you please stand for the reading of the Word? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to take us on a short Melbourne United Methodist history lesson along the way today on a couple of events that happened in the last few years. And as I do so, I'm going to focus on the growth and the changes and transformation that God is doing here. One of the things that this verse 2 in Romans chapter 12 says is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this transformed word means just that, that it becomes from one thing to another. And it doesn't just happen necessarily in an instant. Our thinking patterns usually evolve gradually. What we think about, what we believe is important, what we prioritize. If, if you're not sure what I mean by that, the only time it's, that it's an immediate change is if you're in uh, deep water, way down deep, and you have no air supply in that water, all of a sudden your priority changes to wear some air and nothing else matters. Do you know what I mean? Uh, or if you're in bad health, all of a sudden the most important thing is to feel better. And uh, we have a lot of folks in our uh, membership who struggle with poor health, and, and we pray for them and ask God to give them a, a day that's less painful and toward recovery. But that transformation in a church, in our lives, is ongoing. Hopefully, your opinion about things when you were a child aren't your opinions today. If they were, you'd still be looking at things as a three or four year old would, rather than as an adult. So, I want to share with you some of the journey that I've gone through in my understanding of how God works in a church and in, 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 in my life. And I believe a lot of these things each one of us has experienced. Plus, I'm pulling some others in that I've heard over the years. And I want to share this with you because in 2014, we had a, a vision planning meeting here at the church. And we began that vision planning on Palm Sunday of that year. And you all who were here at that time might remember that we had a focus on family. We really wanted to ensure that family was welcomed here. So we, we started Sunday school classes for all ages. We, we began new classes. And, and on that Palm Sunday, they were, they were well attended. And Easter Sunday also. And gradually, it began to slowly fade away. And we thought, well, this is what we heard God say was family. What, what's going on? Are, are we not hearing God right? And when we began to look for ways to understand what God was telling us. And I believe at that moment, at that day and time, God was not wrong. And He never has been. That God was helping us understand what family is. To understand what family means. And to transform our understanding. A lot of things that God does, He announces ahead of time to let you know He's the one doing it. All the time in the Old Testament, you'll see, I'm about to do this work. And then God does that work in that way, the way He said it, so that you know that God did it. For a good example of that, if you look at the uh, Joshua and Jericho, God says, march around the, the city six days, one time around, and don't make a noise. And then on the seventh day, march around it seven times and praise Me when I tell you to. And I will give you the city. And uh, Jericho fell. But they know they didn't do it because they didn't set bombs. They didn't have such a thing. They didn't shoot the walls down, which they couldn't do. They didn't attack the walls. They just praised God like God said. And He said, I will give you the city if you will praise Me. 
So God wanted glory, and then the city was given to the hands of the brand new Hebrew people. And I, I mention that because God wants us to be in obedience to what He says, and He will do what He says. And so we kept looking for ways to make family friendly. And, we, and over the year or two after that, we began to see uh, our youth grow up and go on to college, and we began to see the children fade off or move away, and all of a sudden, a vibrant children's ministry, almost every last one of them moved away. Another city, another church, another town, and we said, God, what's going on here? And we had those kind of questions. What, what, what can we do? What are we not doing right? And I believe God kept saying, keep doing what you're doing. I've got something for you. You just need to change your understanding a little bit. Back at that time, we were working on a Priority One sermon series. And after that, we did Relevant for a while. And then in October of 2015, that's, that's almost like unheard of, we started the Turning 180 series. Do you all realize that's been a year and a half ago that we've been on this series? I've never heard anybody do that but it's because it's what's relevant and what God wants us to do is focus on turning from ourselves to the world around us and toward God and having other people do the same thing. That's a process of transformation of how you understand what God wants to do as a church, as individuals and in our lives. Some people come along slowly. Some folks who change, I like to call them molasses. Some folks are like glaciers, even slower than molasses in terms of changing and seeing things differently rather than looking backward on how to do things to look at the new thing God's trying to do and to see what God can do vitally and vibrantly in a church. In Scripture, it talks about that in our own personal relationship with Jesus when it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out one day at a time. Salvation isn't something you, you pray at the altar and all of a sudden you have salvation. You've entered into the process of being saved. That God has your salvation waiting for you and you work it out. And what's interesting is we sometimes want to look at this like it's a one and done thing. But did you know when you give your life to Jesus Christ, it's not the end of everything, it's the beginning. It's the first step in a relationship. It's a marriage relationship which we talked about a couple of Sundays ago with Jesus. Jesus wants us to transform to be like Him, not who we used to be. And that's a, sometimes a process that takes a while. That transformation is what Romans 12, 1 and 2 are talking about. And, 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 and in here, I think what you'll, you'll see when I share this with you is kind of a, a shocking yet also illuminating statement when he says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice in verse 1. And, and, and we kind of go, living sacrifice, does that mean I get it on the altar and they want to kill me? No, that would be a dying sacrifice. A living sacrifice is a sacrifice that says my body is to be used for God's purposes. My life for God's purposes. And here's the shocking part about this. Paul says this is reasonable. It's not radical. It's not extreme. It's normal when someone redeems you from the pits of hell and from destruction that you want to live your life in gratitude. That's reasonable. To find ways to please the One and to serve the One who can save you. Reasonable. And then after that He says the hard part, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. And I'm going to share with you in just a moment some of the ways that I tried to do that. And that many of us, I would say in the list of the things I've come up with, that we all have at least one or maybe several of these things that have happened. Um, but Paul says not to be conformed, but transformed when our mind is changed. Renewed. And why does this need to happen? Because if our minds don't change from the old way of thinking and living without Christ, we won't know God's will for our life. A lot of people say, if I could just know God's will for my life, let Him transform your thinking. That's the process. To change to think like He thinks. To believe and love like He loves. 
John 13, Jesus gives us a new commandment and it's one that supersedes all the others. It says, love one another in the same way that I have loved you. Love one another. This is a different kind of thinking. There are people who still understand that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is the way things are. But Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to them and, and who are seeking to harm you. This is still something that most people don't do. You say, wait a minute, but I'm a believer. I do those things. If you do those things, then you have not met a stranger anymore. Everybody becomes your friend. Because you love all. And you love them in the same way God loved you. And the way God loves you is to redeem you from brokenness to help you raise up to wholeness. This transformation doesn't happen just because you live. Many people see broken lives and hopelessness around them, but they do nothing about it. And they say, well, I'm glad I'm not like that person, but you are. If you don't include yourself in their life, you are like that person. You're exclusive and excluded. And God says, I can't use that for my kingdom. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people still see life like you give to get. Not you give to bless. You bless because you've been blessed. So there's a lot of different views on this and on church and involvement. And I want to share with you one of the most telling. When I was in high school, I used to work for a place called Webster's Theater. Uh, no longer there, it's torn down. But Buddy Webster was my first real boss. I ran the projection booth and the concession stand, both, and took tickets at times as well. The only thing I didn't do was sell tickets because then I'd have to handle the ticket money and they didn't want me to touch that. But everything else, I handled. And Buddy Webster and I were talking and I asked him what he thought about Jesus. I was a pastor's son. I was thinking about ministry as a vocation. And I wanted to know. And here's what Buddy Webster said. And many of us in our lifetime, some of us still today, will give this response. My relationship with God is a personal thing and I'm not going to talk to you about it. And I asked him what he meant. He said, it's between me and God and you don't need to know. And he was talking to me. I was about 15 at the time. And I was, I was surprised at his answer. And I was really stuck because I thought, I don't know how to respond to that. When I was that age, I had no uh, comeback, no, no fair answer to him. I know what I would say to him today. I would say, buddy, if your relationship is between you and God, you've missed out on Christianity. Because your relationship is with Jesus Christ who calls you to relationship with other people to reach out, heal, lift up, and bless them in Jesus' name. To give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name and to encourage one another in the faith. Not to keep it between you and God, but to keep it between you and others with God leading you in the way you should do that. So that's what I would have told him. And if I would have told him that at that time, and knew that answer, I would be looking for another job. So I'm glad God didn't give me that answer. So, one time I was at church and I heard someone saying, I don't go to church because it doesn't do what I think it should be doing. Does that make sense? You ever heard that? This church should be doing something different. They're not doing the right things. Here's how some people have said it. and Maybe you've heard it like this. The church should love people. If they're not helping people who are needing money and giving them money, then that, there's something wrong with that church because they're not helping people who hurt. And usually that's from the folks who are asking for the money. They're not asking to make a change in their lives or to help the church grow or God to build the kingdom. They're wanting a handout. And they say, why won't you give us money? The church should be doing that. And they get mad. A lot of benevolent churches find a lot of people angry with them when they draw a line. Here's another one. And a lot of people have said this to me over the years and I said it when I was in my 20s. I don't find any benefit from church. I don't see any point in going. It doesn't help me. Now, listen to this. If you think coming to church is all about you, 
you're going to think this way. I don't get any benefit from it. Why should I go? It's not helping me. Well, maybe it's not about us. Maybe it's about the person there who needs to see someone there and hear an encouraging word that we can lift up and exhort. Or someone who's there that we might be able to hear their story and and bring them closer to God. Maybe we're coming on that particular Sunday. God has said, there's someone here that only you can talk to and they trust you. You just don't know it. But you don't want to go because it won't help you. And I, I don't know if you've ever thought that way, but I used to think that way in my 20s. And I didn't go to church very much. I thought it wasn't important. I only went with my family because my family went and I didn't want to sit home alone. That's the kind of mindset I had because I didn't find any benefit for myself. Here's what I used to say. The preacher doesn't know how to preach real well. The guy had one good sermon in a year and a half and I finally said, this is enough, I'm not going anymore. Not getting anything I want. But what did I do? I sat on the pew listened to the sermon, sang three hymns, and went home. I did not make any relationships with anybody. I didn't reach out and help someone. I didn't do anything like that. No benefit for me. I don't need to do it. And so it added to this one on top of that. Therefore, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of my time. And I added this to it. I could be out doing something else. It gets in the way of other things I could be doing. Do you know how many people say this? I can get closer to God out fishing than I can in church. Or on the golf course, I feel close to God and just like I do in church. And, I, and I've never heard a fisherman say, well, I could be getting closer to God on the golf course. I've only heard a fisherman say that. And I've never heard uh, a golfer say, you know, I'd rather be home crocheting. I feel closer to God when I'm crocheting. It's only when they're doing something they like to do and they use an excuse of saying, "It's I can connect with God. But you cannot connect with God by yourself and minister to others at the same time. Here's a question that is on my heart every Sunday. And I hope it is yours. When I'm preparing to come to church, And when you're preparing, do you think like this? I wonder what's going to happen in church today. I wonder if someone's going to find Jesus. Or do you think, geez, I wonder what time he's going to shut up so I can go home. We pay our penance every week for that time. (laughs) I wonder if he's going to cut us out early. Or do you say something like, you know, I hope they don't mind how I'm dressed. Or what should I wear so people don't think I'm an idiot? Do you think that way? Or, or do you think like this? This is how I think when I come to church now. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I can't wait. I just want to see God show up and great things happen. I wonder who's going to get blessed and their lives transformed more that day. I really want to see that. I don't know if you want to see that, but I want to see that. That's your pastor's heart, is that people find transformation, that their lives turn 180, that people will not only turn 180, that they will be 180. Sometimes I've thought this way, especially in uh, early years of uh, pastoring, because the conference is always asking for money, the church is always asking for money. And here's what I've said. Well, the church helps some people, but I think they more want to just keep the doors open. Pay the bills saying keep the doors open coming back. And sometimes people feel that way about church. That it's all about survival. But if you've ever gone into a church where the mission matters, it's a different feel. And speaking of vision, one of the things I said, I'm not going back to that church. Its vision is too small. All they want to do is focus on stuff that doesn't matter. I've said that before. Here's another one, and this goes hand in hand. I've heard this. Oh, that church is just a big social club. All the groups and activities, and and they don't focus on Jesus Christ and the mission of the Gospel. And then another person will say, there's nothing for the kids here. I can't go there. Where's the middle ground? Is it you need programming or you need the mission? What's the point of the church? 
Some folks ask that. I get frustrated when a church has a swimming pool, a bowling alley, and a game room, and they spend more money on that than they did in a year of missions. I get upset about that. That's a social club. Membership so you can play in our pool. Be on our basketball team that wins all the church tournaments. I've seen this promotion before. Members only can play and swim. We got a gym. Free membership if you were a member of our church. Faithful member at that. What's that mean? Show up every Sunday is what they think that means. I've heard this one too, what people think about church. I can find God anywhere. But have you? Have you found God? And who led you to Him? If you did. And I've heard this one. It's just a big show. All staged. Nothing really, really happens to change His lives. That's all a put on. Most times they use that one for the televangelists. And I'm sure, I don't know this, but I'm sure there's some staged stuff going on. But I don't know this. But it sure does seem that way. But some people see it and they believe and some people scoff and mock. It's what we say so we don't have to go. Here's one, here's the one I hear a lot. Church is for hypocrites. You ever heard that one? Church is for hypocrites. I say, come on, we need one more. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think church is for people who don't want to be the way they used to be anymore. And they're going to look like they don't line up with Christian goals, dreams, and life of Christ because they're brand new into this thing. And even people who have been with Christ for 30, 40 years still got work to do to transform to be like Christ. We're still going to grow. We're still going to learn more about the truth. Here's another one I've heard, and, 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 and this is so common. People judge people there. There are a lot of folks here today who've had other churches judge them and look at them like there's something wrong with them and they don't feel welcome. It's huge why people don't go to church. They feel judged. I've said these things. Here's another thing. Someone has said, I'm not wanted there, I'm not welcome there, and I'm not needed. I have all these gifts and talent and nobody will talk to me and see what kind of things I can bring to the table to help the church. And here's what some people say in response to that. Well, you should tell the people what you can do. And then we'll use it. But we're not going to go seek you out and ask you and care about you. You're going to have to make the initiative, not us. But the people on the fringes don't make initiative. Not very often. They're barely feeling like they're wanted there, let alone welcomed. And they're definitely not going to show forth their gifting. But i got to tell you a story of what happened last night so you'll know what kind of church you're in right now. At the drive-in, one of the folks whose family comes to our pantry, the husband can't make it, called me aside last night. And he said, I, I want to thank you. We had some tough times. We moved here and I finally got on work and we got enough coming in now. But there were some times when we couldn't make it, but you guys helped us through. And he said, I want to tell you something. And I don't know how far this is going to play out, but I hope it happens. He said, if you ever need a bucket truck... I got one. And I said, we need a bucket truck. We got a specific task we need a bucket truck for. And he said, you do? And I said, yes. He said, let me make some calls and I'll get back with you. Well, I want to share something with you. He offered after he knew he was cared for. Not before. You're not going to walk up to a stranger and go, hey, can I help you with this? When you don't know who they are. When that person has never invested time in you. It's real difficult to get to know somebody that you don't talk to. Last time I checked, most relationships have words spoken. <laughs> and I don't mean negative, I mean some words. Communication must happen. I've heard pastors say this, church is a paycheck, it's a job. It's a way to get my God fix in so I can go off and live my life. Early years of my life, I had to fig figure out, am I doing this because I get paid? Am I doing this because I love God? Why am I doing this? And it took a while to answer that question in, in a true answer. Here I've heard this. Maybe you've said this. I'm a member. They should do more for me. Maybe you haven't heard that one like that, but here's what it is. Nobody's called. 
Nobody sent me a card. The pastor hasn't come over. All these things. I'm a member. They should do more for me. So why should I go? All these things keep people away and that's their view of church is unfriendly. And they don't speak out. They just keep it inside. If they don't speak it out and say, you know, I was in the hospital and not many people came. Let's work on building a ministry so people in the hospital are knowing that other people know they're in there so people can come see them. Let's make this happen. Rather than seeing it as a problem, find a solution. But most folks just want to grumble when they see things as they got hurt and they don't want to help it change. But this church is in a process of transformation. It's not perfect. We're still learning and growing. We're still learning how to do things and help others and build each other up. This is not something we start with. We start off at the basics and learn and grow as we go. I've heard this one so much. And there are people in this congregation who know some people who won't come here because of this. I got hurt at that church. I've heard that a lot of times. I told you the one many years ago at a church in Georgia where a man quit coming to church for 30 years because the pastor had put some chickens and was raising them in the church kitchen. 30 years. He got hurt because of that. Rather than speaking to the pastor saying, I'm upset about this. Can we find a solution? He left the church. Why? Because he wanted to do it his way and not be a living sacrifice. And say, I'm going to sacrifice my pride and my pain and say, listen, this is offensive to me. It might be to others. Let's say we move them to a place or let me find you a place to house them instead of in the church. Let's keep God's house respectable. Could have said that. But all the guy did was get mad, grumble, complain, and never went back. And here's one most people don't say, but they feel. The church doesn't see me. Do you know what I mean by that? I walk in and I'm hardly even noticed. How does it feel, do you think, to folks who look invisible to other people? Why am I even there? It's a painful thing. And it isn't always their fault that they feel invisible. Sometimes we don't reach out to the persons around us and we contribute. I heard this one when I was younger from my own mouth. And I think it's because I had bad intention. I used to go to church and I'd look for bigger churches so I could find someone to date. But I was so shy, it was, it was painful. And so I would say this, I don't know if I want to go back to that church, I feel lonelier when I leave. <laughs> Maybe you said that, I don't know. But I said that. And then I've said this one, but I'll never say it again. I said this, I don't feel God there, God's not in that church. I promise you, God's in any church I go to because I brought Him. He's in me. And if He's in you, then He's in the church you were in, in the church you are in, in every building you are in, because He lives inside of you. There is no not God moment for you. You may not know how to feel it, understand it, or, or, or make awareness of it, but that doesn't mean God isn't residing and making His home inside of you. He lives with you. He lives in you. And then there are some folks whose mindset is this. I'm going to go to church today. I'm going to try to fit in and I'm going to connect with somebody. I'm going to talk to everybody I can and I'm going to say hi, start up a conversation, and I'm going to make this happen. Some people, that's uncomfortable. But God didn't call you to discipleship to be comfortable. He called you to risk your life. I've heard people say this, I'm so happy to be in church. Man, I'm happy to be anywhere, but I'm so happy I'm in church. Because God brought me out of my darkness and healed me and I still live. I'm happy to be anywhere, but especially happy in church where God is. So thankful to be alive. I've heard people say this, I came to church today to tell God that I love Him and I want 
to give hope and encouragement to others around me that they might find what I don't think they have, that I found in Jesus. There are people who live like that and believe that that's necessary. There are people in this room who've gotten born again, saved in this building. And people will say this, I found Jesus there and I want to go back there and pray and connect with Him again. There are people who said, I got saved in that seat right there. And every time I come, I see that seat and I remember my day I got saved. Some people come to remember. Some people come because they feel loved here. More often than not, that's the case here. A lot of people now are saying here, I can be myself without fear of judgment. Someone asked me one time about our church, well, what about tattoos? And I said, if you got clothes on, your tattoos don't take them off. Your tattoos don't make you a believer and non-believer. Your clothes don't make you a believer and non-believer. Wear what you have, but wear something. We have a dress code. Have clothes on. No birthday suits, that's correct. Some people come because they feel valuable to the church. That they know they make a difference. That they fit in. Some people here today have said this. I'm a part of the change in lives that my church is affecting. In this last week, several people in the room gone on a mission trip. And I want to take a moment right now to let those who are willing to share how that experience affected you. Because that's part of the change in lives that that's happening here. And, and we're taking it elsewhere. A lot of people like to go somewhere where there's a big revival going on, like when Brownsville had it in Pensacola, and then come back and bring it to their church. People are now starting to come to us and take it elsewhere. That excites me. Anybody on the mission trip like to share at this time just briefly what the experience meant to them?
spread out and work with those teams so that we got to know those people from Hopkinsville and Litchfield, Kentucky that we've never had the opportunity to meet. And it turns it turns into being one big family mm -hmm. because we're all there for the same purpose. We're all there as, as servants of God. And so you just learn to, to love each other and you learn to work together um, with people you've never met and would never have the opportunity to so I received a great blessing from that this time that I had not experienced before. And it always amazes me that we start out with people that we have no idea who they are. I mean, I had Dakota and, and Bree and a few that I already knew, but, but we always have team members that we have no idea where they are, where they come from, and we get to uh, meet them, but we become a family. Mm -hmm. And it's it's amazing to me how that you go come in with strangers, but you go home with friends and loved ones and uh, people that you will never forget. They make a lasting impression uh, on your life. And uh, you know, a lot of times people, I, I know people wonder, well, why do you go on these things? Because it's not a fun trip. I work my buns off. I mean, literally work my buns off this time. But it is the reason I go is because I know God has a purpose for me there um, that I wouldn't do here probably, wouldn't have a chance to do here. But it gets me out of my comfort zone because I go to people that I don't know, that don't know me, um, and I feel like that God wants me to branch out, not only in the, this community, but I, I don't feel like I can go to Africa or India or some great place, but I can go to a little town in Kentucky that now I have people up there that are my family because I've met them for four years. And now when I go see them, they're like, it's like coming home to family. I mean, because they hug me and and treat me just like a, a sister. And so it's, and I can go up there and I can work hard. I can do what I can do, but I can also share the love of God with a whole lot of people that I would never have a chance to. And I can affect the, the lives of these children that they would ordinarily get. Um, and they believe me, they do appreciate what we do up there. They, you are constantly being thanked and, and just appreciated. And uh, it's very, I come home, get with more blessings than I ever give out. And uh, so it was a wonderful trip. And I get a new a new vision and a new uh, perspective of it every time I go. I really enjoyed going on that trip. The first few days I was kind of confused. I kept getting lost. And before I went, I thought, well, I'll be doing some walking and I'll lose some weight. Little did I know, I completely got lost and walked three times further than I had to most of the time. But what really amazed me were the, the students. I mean, you, you expect the staff to be grateful that we're there, but you know, you don't think, don't expect the students to. But these guys were fantastic. They were happy we were there. They loved talking to us. They, they, I mean, I had three kids tell me, you know, what they want to do when they go out in the world. They had so many grand plans for what they wanted to do. But they say, but I'm waiting for Jesus to come. And there was this one girl I had, her name, her name was Sapphire. And uh, I could never find her. And I'd ask around, and finally I found out she was at volleyball camp and wouldn't be back till Thursday. Well, Thursday I come in to get my tray for lunch. And I have three of those kids grab me and say, Sam, she's here, she's here. And they pulled me over to her. And it's that joy that they have. 
you know, you, you give them a little card or a little bracelet or something, and they are just so happy. I mean, it, it overwhelmed me. And the peace that you feel when you go there. I mean, I've never felt that kind of peace in my life in any one place. It's like you can feel God working. And when you do your job, and yeah, I work a lot too. I was selling curtains for the new boys dormitory. But you do it with a feeling that you're doing this for God. This is how you're serving God while you're there. And it's just the most amazing place I think I've ever been. And I can't wait to go back next year. Uh, something else that I thought was amazing about the community and the people there is just by going up there and helping. Uh, like I knew Ginger and I knew Bree, but we never actually got to talk. And then going on the trip, everybody got to connect. Even people that I met for the first time over at Hartley, uh, we connected. So it kind of brings us all into uh, one big team. And we all just help the community there a little bit better because we were able to gather together a lot easier. And then the community is actually very self-functioning. Uh, the farm feeds the uh, school and then everybody helps each other. So no matter where you go, it's just a big chain link. Everybody helps each other. So you can do the smallest thing and it ends up going to a huge right. So when I was working maintenance, we had to take down like the pool because they're planning to build the new girls' room over. So even by just doing a little stuff like cutting out pipes, we were getting it ready for construction and getting it ready so the school could be just a little bit better. And that happens every year, so that they just keep striving to get better. And I thought that was really amazing how they did that. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'll speak to the team since they spoke to the school. Um, I love watching our team fall in love with Donita. Because our family is totally in love with Donita. And Ginger's right, we have family there. Every time I see Amy at the Friendship House, it's like we haven't missed a, a beat. But, um, one of the things I love watching, we had 15 people on our team, 15 people who did not know each other. I knew Dakota for one day when he came to our meeting, and that was the first time I really ever met him. I know Dakota pretty well now, <laughs> you know, having been on the same floor as him and, and just finding out the remarkable young man that he is. What was really cool about our team is we had people with all different kinds of backgrounds and stories. We had people who were unchurched and new believers. We had a pastor, um, even if he fell asleep during the meeting. <laughs> you couldn't tell people he was the pastor. That was funny. But um, we had people who were recovering addicts. We had somebody who was blind. Everybody came in with a different story, and on the team, your story didn't matter. Everybody joined together, became that family, worked together, helped each other, counted steps up and down. Um, for the blind men, served each other, returned each other's trays, laughed. Oh my gosh, did we laugh. I mean, we did it. It's a hard trip as far as work, and you're tired, and you're achy, but you're tired, and matters at the end of the day. You know you served and you served well. But we would end the night long into the night with lots and lots of laughter. And so it didn't matter what your background was in building the team. But then I got to see that God used those individual backgrounds to minister to other people. On Wednesday night we always go to church while we're up there and support the local church that's right across from the school. And they were actually talking about what is church, and there were a lot of what I would call churchy answers. They were all the glossed over, great things of church. Um, and I dared to be the rule breaker and say there are some not so great things about church. There's complaining and 
And I said, she fight, but the shepherd heals. And the church is also a place where you learn to forgive, and you learn community, and you learn grace, and you learn mercy, and you learn how to deal with difficulty, because there's difficulties in any family, right? You know, it's not all fun and games. And so one of the people on my team had shared her story with alcoholism, and one of the other teenagers on another team then stepped up and shared his story of alcoholism, and I saw God using the individual stories of people to minister to the volunteer teams, but then also to the school, and before we left, some of the teens were coming up to us, because a bunch of us were wearing our Celebrate Recovery shirts, and how do we get the teen version of that started here? How do we bring recovery to the addiction that's in Clay County, because Clay County is the second course county in all of Kentucky or course in the nation. You know, how do we do this? How do we keep expanding? And so now we have new vision and a new connection with Onita and already getting excited about the team that can go out next year, but all of the relationship we can build before then. Our last day we met with this little girl, Victoria. She kept going around saying, who has my name? Who has my name? And nobody had her name on any of the teams. And Victoria is a loner, plain, frizzy hair, odd kind of creature. And we've, we saw her there last year too, always sitting alone, not a lot of friends. And she came and sat with us that last day and was like, can I eat lunch with you too? And I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to break our heart because we'll leave even after breakfast. But she exchanged emails and there are three of us that are committed to praying for her now and to engage in a relationship with her that's not going to be next June, but that can start today, and it can grow and develop, and we can continue our missions trip to Victoria, who really needs it. She drew a picture that was dark about monsters and graveyards and things that were creepy, and I thought, oh, that poor girl's story. But we can be hope. Not just because we were there for a week, but because we can build a relationship beyond. And that was really um, an awesome moment for our team. And we've already promised that she can eat every meal with us the next time we're there. And she was very excited about that. If I were to ask anybody who's been or ever been on a mission trip, if it was above and beyond or if it was just reasonable... I think they would say it was just reasonable. It wasn't something radical. John Piper once said this, either go on a mission trip or help send somebody through prayers, sponsoring, as some of us here have done, to make things happen. And our mission field here at this church is the people around us who hurt and are broken, unchurched. This is our mission field. And I want to share with you the reason why this message is called Shift is a closing thought. It's because our mindsets have had to shift to what family really is. To who our mission field is. To what it is. I had to learn. We had to learn. And we had to learn how to do that. And once we began to do that, now it takes all of us, one way or another, the process of shifting how we're thinking about what church is. In the bulletin, I put these questions. Why Jesus? Why does it matter? Why does He matter? If you don't know that, you won't help people with it. Why, why, why is church important? If you don't believe it is, you won't help people with it or, or be excited about it or encouraged. And why this particular church? And I have my answer. I don't need answers from someone else to tell me why I should believe in this church. I already know why. But I will tell you this. I'm excited about what God is doing here and I want to be a part of what happens next. God's active and transformation is taking place nearly every time I come here. Whether it's Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Saturday, yesterday, God's still doing things here and working and helping lives change. 
And we're we are privileged as a church right now. And I'm going to give you something that happened at conference. And I'm after I finish this sentence, I'm going to ask you to think about it for a moment. And after that moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you a benediction. But I really want you to hear this. I've been to a lot of churches. I told this to Sky McCrack and I told it to the brand new district superintendent and I told it to a couple other pastors. I've been to a lot of churches where they're mission-minded, they're growing, they're doing great things for God. And I've attended churches like that where they're on fire and I've always wondered, how's that happen? I've never seen that happen. And I really want to be a part of that process and I was excited to be in those churches and to take part and help build what they're doing. And this is what I told those men. It started at our church in Melbourne United Methodist. And I'm getting to see the beginning of it. And I'm beginning to see the church come alive and get closer to God and have a deeper hunger. There's some folks who still are on the fringes who haven't yet gotten the transformation in their mind that it's going to be something amazing that God's doing here. It's already happening. God's already doing it. And I got to be on the ground floor of something I never thought I'd get to be a part of, let alone be a pastor of. But I'm getting to see God do work here. And I'm excited about that. And I can't imagine what God's going to do next, but I know if He's surprising me this way, what the next surprise is. And if you don't know about it yet, sit down and talk with me for a while. Sit down and talk with someone who's caught up in it and seeing God do the work here. And lives changing right in front of our eyes every single time we get together. God's working here. Are you experiencing that? If you are, thank God that the shift has happened in you and you're being transformed along the way. But some of us are a little slow 